It is the game of the week. Forget Sunday night football, Eagles, Falcons. Come on, that pales in comparison to the NFC Championship game rematch coming your way at the Coliseum this Sunday afternoon. DeMarco Farr, J.B. Long. DeMarco, how confident are you that this is just a precursor? This is another playoff preview like it was in 2018. Uh, pretty confident. Yeah. I, I think we're pretty confident in the Rams, and uh, I trust the Saints will be there at the end. Unless something, you know, catastrophic happens, but they're good. And let's just get it out in the open. I, I call this a rivalry. I don't like them. It's not like I hate them like San Francisco, but I don't like the Saints. Yeah. They it's, are. It's interesting, especially lately. Yeah. I mean, you look at since Sean McVay arrived in LA, their record, Saints and Rams, including the postseason, identical, 27 and 10. They've each averaged better than 29 points per game offensively, top two in the NFC. Their scoring differential, top two in the NFC. I mean, these have become the two recent dominant franchises in the NFC. They played the final game to decide the conference championship last year. Would not be surprised if they do it again. But rivalry is an interesting word. Yeah. And your roots with this franchise go much deeper than mine. I was curious, knowing the previous division rivalry with the Saints, where does that rank in the current framework of the NFC West versus the 49ers, Seahawks, and Arizona Cardinals. I'll let you answer yeah. first, and then I'll bring in our Rams All-Access poll question. Okay, this will be funny, because uh, they're an old NFC West rival, like you said. As a player, I'm ahead, 8-7. and seven. Uh, As a broadcaster, I think I'm one game ahead when you factor in the playoff game. Um, Not that you're counting, my goodness. You knew that I'm off the counting. top of your Absolutely. head. Absolutely, <laughs> and think about this. I, I always give my Saints fans uh, a lot of hell because of this. You had to leave the NFC West to win a Super Bowl. Just oh. remember that. Oh. Absolutely. So that just tells you how we feel the animosity. But they are responsible for one of your most painful playing memories. We gave Aaron Brooks and the Saints a, a playoff victory. Yeah, that, that terrible quarterback. So here's what I noticed with this week's ESPN Los Angeles Rams all-access poll question, which was, for Rams fans, which opponent do you consider the biggest rival? 49ers, Seahawks, Cardinals, and Saints were the options. I want to start with this. The Cardinals got nothing. I mean, nothing. I was It was just including them as part of the division. But what I found interesting is the Seahawks outnumbered the 49ers almost two to one. Like the Seahawks won it in a landslide. But the 49, the fans who saw the 49ers as their primary rival were way more vehement yeah. About why and and how long and how deep, deep that runs. Yeah, yeah, that's that's deep seated. That go that goes a long way. So I can understand how the Seahawks would be above them right now because they've had the more recent run of success. Mm-hmm. You know, not excluding what Harbaugh did in San Francisco for a while, but I mean the Seahawks have been chasing, you've been chasing them, and then you finally overtake them. They want it back. But San Francisco, if you're a Rams fan, you you just automatically don't like the colors, period. Yeah, with yeah. over a thousand votes, here were the final percentages. Seattle forty seven. 49ers, 27, narrowly edging out the 26% for the New Orleans Saints. I think that speaks to, yes, the history between these franchises, but just how competitive and in some cases bitter it has been since the Rams came back to L.A. You know, uh, Sean Payton doesn't forget. Uh, that's the fun thing. Remember, was it uh, how many years ago we went to New Orleans? And I was they, 16. That was the Greg Williams The pasting. And mm-hmm. they went for the reverse pass at the end of the game, and you yeah. knew it was personal, right? Well, he doesn't forget, and he made up for it. Well, we also have a coach that doesn't forget and is very competitive, kind of like the 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 Sean Payton 2.0 and Sean McVay. So, you know, a, a lot of things have been said about the NFC Championship game, a lot of whining, so to speak, coming out of New Orleans. I mean, and I think the Rams have done a great job handling that, right? Mm-hmm. Saying the right things. But you're, what you're really doing is taking away from their victory. 
you know, taken away from the things they did well to beat you in your own house. So those are things that Sean McVay and this team aren't going to forget. So let's re- uh, let's reminisce just for a moment about that NFC Championship game and what you're talking about. Seven months ish removed. Give me your one minute memory takeaway. Like, is it dominated by that non-call, or do you have other more prevalent memories? I've watched it four or five times, and after week one of this season, wow, that would have been different had Cooper Cup been out there. I think we can say that, right? That's a good call. Um, Another thing is, after week one this year, if Todd Gurley was the same Todd Gurley in Carolina, that's a different ball game, right? Mm -hmm. Because Todd started off kind of slow in that football game. And to that point, look, I know everyone outside of the organization thinks it was because of his knee. But people forget those were mental mistakes mm-hmm. he made on the first two drives of that game. He had a ball go through his hands that became an interception. He rarely drops that. And then he had another on third down that would have moved the chains, put it on the ground. And am I wrong that by his own admission, he said he was kind of shook by of that course. moment? Yeah, I mean, but when you are injured or you have a problem, um, sometimes it's hard to think through it. You know what I mean? So if gotcha. you're... Kind of physical fate. becomes mental, becomes right. physical. And it, gotcha. you're, you're fighting yourself instead of letting the game come to you. So if Todd was free-flowing, that game is different. But it was ebb and flow. And the first thing I remember is how loud it was. You couldn't hear a thing, right? Yep. So this game, this week, will be different just for that reason alone. The offense will have a chance to function, free function, or freely function the way they're used to. And there, you just couldn't, you had to line up and play. It was just that loud. Coming up, we'll have a comment from Tyler Higby, who made clutch plays in that NFC Championship victory, speaking about the noise and why the Coliseum could be the great equalizer this week. We're going to dig into the Rams' performance offensively and defensively in the win at Carolina. What needs to be cleaned up to beat the Saints in week two? We also have four down territory coming up on this edition of Rams All Access. Mike Triplett will be our guest with the latest from New Orleans. He's DeMarco Farr. I'm JB long week two edition of rams all access i was asked uh on new orleans radio actually this week if i see this rivalry continuing years into the future and what came to mind my my knee-jerk reaction was it depends what happens with the drew Brees succession plan if they have whether it's teddy bridgewater or someone subsequent come in there and run the show the way that he has throughout his career i think a lot of the pieces are in place for this to continue say, three, five, seven years down the road. From the Rams' side, it certainly seems that way. But I don't know. That's a big if, taking the torch from a first ballot Hall of Famer. Uh, I, I think some of it kind of goes away with Breeze because I think he's he's every bit of it. And, I mean, going back to some other Saints quarterbacks, I mean, Everett was there, Aaron Brooks we just mentioned. Uh, but mostly it was their defense and running the football that did it. So in this era, it's more about Breeze and the weapons he has. So maybe when he steps down and – finishes his Hall of Fame career, it might change some. But if as long as Sean Payton is on that sideline, mm-hmm. he's connected to New Orleans. I mean, he understands what it means to be a Saint and how much they don't like us. So as long as he's there, this rivalry continues. Absolutely. On Monday night, we asked Sean McVay about what this quote-unquote rivalry has meant to him early in his tenure, albeit only two years. This was his response. This is a great football team that we're playing. To say a rivalry, you know, every single game is so important to us week in and week out, and this represents our second game, DeMarco, and and it's against a team that, you know, they were the the one seed in the NFC last year. Uh, Great football team, really no weaknesses uh, in in any one of their main three phases, and, uh, you know, we certainly got to be ready to go and, and play a great game to be able to win. 
All right, a little bit of a coach answer there you might expect. Oh, yeah. But you can't tell me that payback or revenge doesn't play into this one, just like it played into the NFC Championship game after the Rams uh, came out of the Superdome with a loss in Week 9 in the regular season. I think he wants to make it definitive. I, I don't think he wants any excuses. If he loses, he wants to rematch you the next year and beat you. Uh, with New Orleans, I, I think he wants to have a clear-cut victory and not have you complaining, just shaking your hand, just like he did. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's not going to call it a rivalry because he doesn't want any bulletin board material. But Rams fans, they know. The players know. Uh, when you see, when you're across from a Saints player, it's it's a different ball game. At least for four quarters, or that drive, or that series. It's just it takes it to a whole new level. And our next segment on Rams All Access here on ESPN LA 710. Jared Goff outplayed Drew Brees in his building at the end of last year. He also got him here at the Coliseum in 2017. But he wasn't particularly sharp against the Panthers. What can we expect in Week Two? Plus, Sean McVay's comments on the running back distribution. Is Todd Gurley going to be cast as the closer, the fourth quarter finisher for this Rams offense? The head coach of the Rams chimes in on that conversation as we continue on ESPN LA 710. Um, you know, just being at home, uh, I think that's one of the big things is not having to deal with that that insane crowd noise. That I, offsets it in your mind, that, whatever motivation yes. they have. Yeah, that that to me, yeah, that that uh, that crowd noise. That was one. Of, that was the loudest game I've ever played, in. it might be the loudest I'll ever play in. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that was that was insane. Rams tight end Tyler Higby, who not only received a contract extension before week one, he caught the game-winning touchdown pass in Carolina. Uh, that's from Rams Revealed, a podcast you can find on the Rams.com using the Rams app or wherever you find your podcasts. We continue here on Rams All Access to Marco Farr, J.B. Long, previewing week two, and it's a rematch of the NFC Championship game against the Saints. You said that you remember the noise. I think it's still ringing in my ears. <laughs> I have the feeling of the Superdome shaking beneath my feet. Yeah. And then how it all went flat when Greg Zerline kicked the 57-yarder. Went dead silent, right? I mean, that's how you shut a crowd up. You guys are way up at the top, right? I mean, it's... It's as high a perch as we have in the National Football League. Sound rises, heat rises, right? I mean, it it was just loud on the field. I could barely hear you guys. I had the microphone jacked, or the headphones jacked, and I still couldn't hear. So I can only imagine what it was like for Jared Goff in the offense, Mm -hmm. you know, trying to communicate. So it got tough, but... Did a good job, stayed with it, but this week will be a, a whole lot different. You'll actually have a chance to move around and communicate openly with your players. One more thought on Higby, uh, who got the contract extension and extended his future with the Rams along with his quarterback, Jared Goff. They're really close, and nowhere was their chemistry more apparent then in that overtime drive after the John Johnson interception has set up the game-winning field goal because of everything that transpired, either the no-call or that field goal, the Super Bowl subsequently, those were the biggest plays of Higby's career. He even had a third-quarter touchdown in that contest. Big dude. I mean, big, tall guy. It's When you think tall tight end, tall quarterback, you should have an instant connection. And I like the fact that they're good friends. Mm-hmm. Whenever you need a play or a bailout or – Something to where you have to trust the other guy to make a play. Why not fire it in the best in, in the direction of your best friend, a guy who just got paid just like you? So, absolutely. Um, the better he gets, the better the offense becomes, in my opinion. All right, let's fast forward to present day, and the Rams are coming off an opening victory uh, in Carolina. They never trailed, but as I watched it back to Marco, I found myself wondering how did they win this game? It felt like they prevailed because they were less sloppy than the Panthers, not because they necessarily achieved in any of the three phases. 
Yeah, I mean, look, uh, Cam Newton and and Christian McCaffrey got started early. That's a tough offense. We talked about North Turner, and he did exactly what we said he was going to do, find creative ways to load the box and get you to mess up your run fits, and out goes McCaffrey a few times. If Cam Newton was a little more accurate, that could be a different ball game, right? Let's just be fair. But, you know, it only matters if you make more plays than the other team. And mm-hmm. Carolina made just as many mistakes, if not more, and you got the victory. But that's not to take anything from, away from what the Rams did, offensively or defensively. And what they did offensively in particular was run it down the Panthers' throat as the game wore on, as those conditions took their toll on both defenses. Uh, Malcolm Brown and Todd Gurley, both with big-time contributions. But once again, the running back narrative is probably the lead story going into and coming out of Carolina. And we asked Sean McVay about that running back distribution between Brown and Gurley, whether that was the plan going in and whether it will be moving forward. You know, to say that we wanted to come out of that with those guys basically getting close to the same amount of carries is is not the case at all. And really, it's our job as coaches to feel the flow of the game. And uh, if you said in an ideal situation, did you envision not getting that many rushing opportunities off in the first half? I would have said probably not. You know, uh, you always like to try to have some sort of semblance of balance, but it's it's most important is our job as an offensive coaching staff and offensive players is to move the football and score points however we do that. But it was more a product of just kind of the flow of the game. Uh, it happened to be Malcolm's drive in that situation that we decided on, and, and he, uh, you know, he ended up making it count. Uh, Brown had two career touchdowns going into Carolina, scored two more in week one. DeMarco, I loved your analogy about an axe and what the Rams have in their backfield right now. The blunt side of the axe, right? If you have to knock down a wall, sometimes you have to start with the blunt side. And that's Malcolm Brown to me. I mean, you know, it's not pitch counts or carry counts, but I, I think both should play a lot in every single game because of what they can do. And I thought in Carolina, it was the perfect use of both guys. When it gets physical, Malcolm. Malcolm mm-hmm. will slam it in there, spin, take on everybody on the football team. When Todd gets in, if you have a lead in the fourth, he can absolutely wear you out and run the clock out, four or five-minute offense. So I, I think they're they're perfect together. Um, now, the only thing I'd like to see flipped is maybe Todd scores twice, possibly more than Malcolm. But either way, when you're scoring rushing touchdowns, especially on the road and shortening the game, it's only going to help you. He's DeMarco Farr. I'm J.B. Long. This is a Week 2 edition of Rams All-Access right around the corner. Jared Goff's performance in Week 1. But first, I want to... I want to set the stage with the biggest discrepancy I saw, and that was how pro football focus and football outsiders graded the offensive line. And I want you to help me find the truth here. PFF had these individual grades for the offensive linemen. Whitworth was solid, seventh among tackles. The guards, they had Blythe 40th, Noteboom 66th in his first career start. Brian Allen, 30th bottom of the league in terms of centers Mm -hmm. again his first start and Havenstein really struggled at right tackle 65th that's a big indictment of the offensive line as they look to retool but football outsiders love them they had the Rams second in run blocking and seventh in pass blocking who's right kind of in the middle uh I think the Rams O-line was much better in the second half than they were in the first okay so it's a tale of two halves more than two analytics services right and uh, we talked about it during the game Quan Short was just tearing them apart at one point and then he kind of wore down with the sun and with the offense staying on the field too long so and that was against the interior three uh but as it got going and they got better they started Making the line calls. Uh, they started getting to the second levels. They started getting guys blocked up. That's how Todd Gurley was able to finish the football game. So 
kind of in the middle. And I can see why Havenstein would be, I, I guess, considered by pro football focus to have a difficult day. It was leaky from that right side, not bit. up the middle and, and from left guard like you thought it might be. A little bit. Uh, and he had the big holding call. That was obvious. Yep. So, I mean, that's going to continue. Like the punt team. Mm-hmm. If you give up a block punt, they're going to keep coming after you. When you put stuff like that on tape, every left end or any defensive coordinator thinks they can get home on you. That says Cam Jordan, doesn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, get used to that. Have you seen his picture in the bio? Cam's? Yeah. Was it? Nasty looking, I, he just intimidating. Looks, he looks like something from like Lord of the Rings. Oh, you know, <laughs> just scary, right? Wow. All right, so yeah. the, the the running back and the offensive line all plays into what we're going to tie in here, which is the quarterback play and his first game after getting a mega extension and big time uh, dollars. I would say Jared Goff was not particularly sharp, but there's some context to that conversation, and I'll give him the first word. It was a mature. Uh, Mature game for for both him and myself. Just taking what they gave us and not getting impatient. You talk, that takes a little discipline. Absolutely, yeah. No, that's what kind of what I'm getting at. It's just it's it was it was took a lot of discipline. You wanna you wanna hit the big one. You wanna hit the big one the whole game. And and just for whatever reason, what they were doing defensively, we couldn't really get that off and um, just had to stay patient. Uh, so Jared talking about how he and his play caller and head coach Sean McVay had to take what the Panthers were giving them. More and more, it seems like. Opponents are just going to sit two safeties over the top and see if you can string together drives against them. It seems like it's like the beginning of a good rock band where the lead singer and the lead guitarist are battling. Like McVeigh and Goff, they're learning about being too aggressive at the same time. You know, Sean McVeigh is really aggressive. Yeah. And Jared Goff is fighting that. You know what I mean? Taking what they give you, making sure you're not too greedy. I mean, McVeigh's the viper. Yes. He wants to kill you in one stroke. <laughs> right. And Jared's more of like a boa constrictor. He's he's comfortable I think choking he's you le- out. He's learning to be that guy yeah. because I think he has that over-aggressive streak too, and it can get him into trouble. So sometimes you have to be patient. His point about downfield passing, though, is accurate. He was 0 of 5 on throws beyond 15 yards, including the interception, which was almost very costly. You know, at least when you're trying to figure it out, and this is where I go back to not having preseason. This is the only thing I'll throw at you. But at least if you're throwing the deep ball, throw it to where they can't get it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. If you're trying and trying to figure out, you're trying to find Robert Woods, you're trying to find Cooks, and you can't find him, at least throw the thing so they don't get a shot at it if you're throwing deep. Yeah, miss to the right leverage. Absolutely. On that deep ball that he threw to Cooks on that first drive, he let him out of bounds, but better to lead him out of bounds than to the inside of the right. field where it'll it gets get tighter. Picked. It'll yeah. get tighter as the season goes. Uh, we will flip sides of the field and talk defense coming up with Eric Weddle set to play despite a gruesome injury that DeMarco Farr had a front row seat for. We'll discuss that and how to deal with Camara, Camara, Camara. My goodness, what a challenge after seeing McCaffrey in week one. Now you get his shadow. Yeah. And Alvin Kamara <laughs> next. That's as Rams All Access continues after this on ESPN LA seven ten. Oh, definitely. If I if I could if I could, you know, whatever make a play on the ball, I would definitely make a play on the ball. That's my job, defensive back. So if if anytime I can get an interception, I, I'm gonna get an interception. But uh uh at that time, in that moment, that's what it was. Nikel Roby Coleman, the Nickel line, nickel corner for the Los Angeles Rams. Marco's already laughing. Absolutely. I know exactly what he means, man. <laughs> the one thing you don't want to do as a defender is what? Give up a touchdown. So sometimes you, you gotta just do what you gotta do. <laughs> you know, it does take me back to so much gets focused on that non-call. They even changed an NFL rule because of it. Uh, but two things. First of all, it was the Saints who opted to throw 
in the red zone after that big hitter again and not burn what's left of the clock and the Rams timeouts before kicking what should have been the game winning field goal. They made that decision before the Rams ever committed that. I think that's why the stuff is getting so loud or was so loud out of New Orleans to cover up what they did wrong. You know what I mean? Blame it on the officials. So you won't look at what they didn't do. And then the other thing yeah. is Roby Coleman stood so tall and took so much of that at the Super Bowl for two weeks. I thought the Patriots would attack him right away just because that feels like the Brady Belichick thing to do. Yeah. And they did. And it was a tip interception no on doubt. the very first drive. Do you think the Saints go right at Nickel this week? I think there's going to be some sort of play for him, some sort of, sort of moment. Um, depends. I mean, look, if you've got Mike Thomas in the slot, on Roby Coleman, they're going there anyway. You know what I'm saying? So, But at some point, run or pass, he's going to be put on front street. All right, so let's go to Michael Thomas, who's now the highest-paid receiver in football. He absolutely torched the Rams in Week 9. That was a franchise record 211. Uh, but the Rams actually did really well to contain him in the NFC Championship game, four catches for 36 yards. The big difference, Marcus Peters was on him primarily without Aqib Tlaib in Week 9. The defense was much more precise in order, in structure, in the postseason. How do you think they approach Thomas this week? Okay, well, number one, forget about stopping him with one guy. It ain't going to happen. He's just good, and he's in his prime. So I think the difference between November and January was pressure on Breeze. If you force Breeze to move, if you force him to declare early, make him just be a quarterback— then the ball comes out quicker. You have a chance to get Mike Thomas on the ground without yak yardage. If Drew Brees is allowed to get in a rhythm, you have no chance. Absolutely no chance. If it's just stand back there and shotgun, scan the defense, snap the football, throw it where he wants, you're dead. So you're going to have to get pressure. And I think that shows up. Uh, three sacks, seven hits uh, against Brees when he was here last, you win the football game. In January, three sacks, two hits, a couple by Fowler. They lose or you win the football game. If you allow him to stand back there and just wing and throw, wing and wing and throw, wing and throw like November, you lose the football game and you give up big numbers. All right, so we're going to talk about pressure on Breeze and generated by Fowler. I think we have to go to what happened in Carolina where Aaron Donald was double teamed 64% of the time. And Fowler capitalized. He had the highest pass rush win rate, according to ESPN, of any player in the league. A stunt was a thing of beauty. Mm. Two sacks on on Newton, and he also drew a holding penalty that was very beneficial as well. If the Saints devote that much attention to Aaron Donald, and there's reason to think they will because they doubled him on 82% of his rushes in the NFC Championship game, someone else has to win, and right now it looks like Fowler could be poised for a Pro Bowl season. This is why I like Fowler. He's not stupid, and he understands what he has in Aaron Donald and how much attention he sees, and he's going to play game with games with that tackle. That stunt, like you said, was a thing of beauty. He lined up on the right and took a step to his left and was in on the quarterback. That tackle had no chance. The guard couldn't come off. So that's a guy that knows how to use a guy like Aaron Donald. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So at some point, those tackles, or they're going to start to adjust. You're going to have to start beating people around the top. Going back to Carolina, I don't know how in the hell you would leave Fowler unblocked on any single play. Especially when you're dropping back to pass, makes no sense at all. Or leave McCaffrey isolated on him, which was how he got his other sack. Makes no sense at all. That's going to change. I think that was just week one jitters. But just knowing Aaron like we do, he hates leaving games without making an impact. So expect the best Aaron Donald you've seen, mm-hmm. right? This is, we, we treat him like we treat Superman. Saving the world isn't enough. Even if you're double team, we expect you to make plays. So he's going to fight through those singles and doubles and triple teams, but 
Whenever they do start showing that extra attention by that tackle, expect Fowler to win a lot. Tell you what, though, this Saints offensive line is impressive. Armstead, Pete, banged up last year, appear healthy in week one. Eric McCoy, their uh, draft pick, uh, second rounder, I believe it was, out of Texas A&M, has stepped right in for Max Unger. He was great in week one. Uh, Warford and Ramchek on the other side. Uh, this offensive line is built to withstand the onslaught that the Rams are going to throw at them. I like them. They're good. They're very athletic. Um, and like, if they get in a rhythm, like we said, if you can't break their rhythm, if you start letting Drew Brees dictate, then they're going to start mixing and run. And they're pretty good, just like the Rams are mm-hmm. with their, with their run and pass fakes. They, they will get you upfield and it's a screen and you're gone. So you're going to have to attack them and you're going to have to make sure you make tackles and live to fight another down. If you can get them to third down, you have a chance to attack them up the field. All right, maybe I'm just afraid of mentioning his name. I don't know how we get to the end of our defensive segment, and I haven't said Alvin Kamara yet, but here it comes. I mean, there is not a bigger problem, maybe in the entire National Football League, for the Rams defensively than what he has done. In three career games, including the postseason, over 138 in scrimmage yards. His average, he scored five touchdowns. How can the Rams be better against one of the best? Wow, uh, a thing like Mike Thomas. If you think you can stop him with just one guy, you're lost. It takes all 11. And a thing about rhythm, making Drew Brees declare, making Sean uh, Payton declare what you're going to do. The faster he gets the ball in his hands, the better it is for the defense. The faster he gets the football, the better it is for the defense. Because then you have pursuit going to him, because one guy's not going to get it. If you're behind, if you're trying to figure out what's happening, if you're laid off the ball and it's just one-on-one in the open field, he's going to make that guy miss, and away we go. 97 rushing, 72 receiving in a Week 1 victory against the Texans. It'll help that Eric Weddle will play. Sean McVay says he's on his way to clearing the concussion protocol. Should be good to go. You know, I saw him bouncing around after the game, like during the game. Mm -hmm. He looked fine to me. So... If he wants to play, let him play. Absolutely. Yeah. We talked yeah. about the Rams having a ton of safety depth and Rap played well in his debut, but that's not something you want to see tested this early in the season. So good news there on the injury front. We'll get the latest on the Saints injury report coming up after this as Mike Triplett takes us to four down territory as Rams All Access continues week two edition on ESPN LA 710. Welcome back to Rams All Access and it is time for four down territory, our weekly trip inside opponents territory. Great to have Mike Triplett back with us. He covers the Saints for ESPN and ESPN.com. He's become a semi-regular guest on this program, given all the matchups between the Rams and the Saints in recent years. Mike, let's get started with this. If you were to rank the games on the Saints 2019 schedule from most important to least important, where do you think this Week 2 contest in Los Angeles lands? Well, I honestly would have put Week 1 as the most important. The home Monday night game they just had against the Texans because the rest of this month is brutal. At the Rams this week, at the Seahawks afterward, they're not even going home between games, and then back home against the Cowboys. I think the uh, Texans one was quote-unquote the easiest one, and they had to make sure they didn't start in a hole. So that was huge for them to be able to come into this game with a win already under their belts. But, you know, it's right behind it because, you know, the story that's hanging over the Saints' head is, will there be a hangover effect from last season? If they can go into LA, win this game and start two and zero. I think I think that question is put to bed, even if there isn't necessarily revenge or closure on the line. Now I know none of us can predict how things are going to play out over the course of the next four months, but as you evaluate this roster year to year, are the 2019 Saints better than the 2018 version that earned the one seed? I'm going to say about even because I think their pass catching situation is a little better. That really became a problem at the end of last year. 
but I think their defensive line is a little weaker, and that was a great strength last year. Uh, but for the most part, uh, you know, there's a few other tweaks, a change at center, a change at number two running back, uh, but they added some nice pieces as well in the draft. But uh, So I'll say about even, which is to say maybe the best roster in the NFL, certainly one of the top two or three rosters in the NFL. The big difference is last year they had all the breaks, no major injuries, won all the close games, won two games where the other team uh, missed a kick in the final seconds. Every break until the NFC Championship game, of course. But, it, you know, they could be as good or better, and it's really hard to go 13-3 and three in this league. Mike Triplett is our guest. He covers the Saints for ESPN's NFL Nation. You mentioned injuries there. What is the latest on the injury front, knowing we won't get the final report until Friday afternoon? But I did see Mario Edwards, Sheldon Rankin still, Craig Robertson, Marcus Williams were on the initial injury report. Any early indication as to who will and who will not be available for Week 2? It's actually a really good-looking injury report for the Saints, considering they just played a Monday night game to come back to practice Wednesday. And the only player who missed practice was was receiver Ted Ginn Jr. because of an illness, which you would assume is not going to keep him out of the game. Sheldon Rankins probably won't play, though, and that's one of the big, when I mentioned the defensive line regressing, I think he was one of the five or six best players on their team last year. The reason they had the number two run defense in the NFL, a big reason for that. And he tore his Achilles. Uh, the week before they played the Rams in the NFC Championship game. He was really missed in that game, and uh, he should be back maybe by the end of the month, early October, but he almost certainly won't be back yet for this game. All right, Mike Triplett with the latest on Rankins. Last question, you wrote a piece this week about running back reps and pitch counts, and it was mostly about Kamara, of course, uh, who we have a ton of respect for, but McCaffrey and Gurley were mentioned in context there. Can you give us the overview on where the Saints stand with respect to Kamara's usage after he was leaned on heavily in the win over Houston? Look, he has only played about Oh, I don't know. It varies a little because Mark Ingram was suspended for the first four games of last year, and and Kamara wasn't playing a lot in the first four games of his career when they still had Adrian Peterson. But on average, most weeks, he's played about 60 to 65% of their offensive snaps. Um, and that is something the Saints went into this season saying they plan to continue. It's why they signed Latavius Murray. Uh, even though they let Mark Ingram go in free agency, they want to have, you know, they want to keep him fresh. But, as we saw in week one, if they're going to get into a back-and-forth game where every possession matters, they're going to keep feeding Kamara because he's their go-to guy, especially if they get into no-huddle, hurry-up offense. They'd love to be able to keep him fresh, but in a gotta-have-it game, he's still going to be a go-to guy. Well, how about the challenge for the Rams? From McCaffrey to Camaro, week-to-week to open the 2019 campaign. Our thanks to Mike Triplett for joining us. Hey, wouldn't be surprised if we do this again in four-down territory. Mike, I'm sure you wouldn't be either. Yeah, I'll talk to you in January. <laughs> All right, sounds good. And Rams All Access is brought to you by ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Try ZipRecruiter for free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Rams. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Rams. Continuing to Marco Farr, there are a couple of things defensively we didn't get to finish before we went to four-down territory that I think warrant mention here. The first is how about Corey Littleton, who was robbed of NFC Defensive Player of the Week. But he was the highest-graded player in the league, according to Pro Football Focus. And guess who the second-highest-graded linebacker was? I laughed when you put this out there. Bryce Hager! <laughs> wow, that's amazing. What, yeah. do you, what do we make of that? I mean... We thought that was a question inside linebacker. Might it be a strength? Well, uh, look, you make the plays that you should make, and you don't make mistakes. I, I bet you're going to be graded out. 
you're going to grade out favorably. Okay, then yeah. th- the question that I know is on every fan's mind is how come they can't tackle Christian McCaffrey then? How come you're getting gashed for 200-plus yards from scrimmage by their tailback if your linebackers are playing so it's well? It's not like you're getting run over. This is this is good. I'm glad you brought that up. It's not like they were running the Rams over. They were misaligned a lot. That's Norv Turner. That's them playing games with the run strength, and you're wrong, your safeties are wrong, and your linebackers are lined up wrong, and there's an open gap that you can't account for. There goes McCaffrey. Do you think part of that was losing Weddle? Part of that, yeah. Part of that was just week one stuff you haven't seen. Uh-huh. It happens to a lot of and people. And not tackling in six months. Yeah, you haven't seen this. We don't know how to adjust to this just yet. And as the game wore on, I mean, you started to bottle him up some. Mm-hmm. Some of those same runs didn't pop. You made him sing for a supper. What about in the middle? Replacing Indomitian Sue was another big question mark. Seabass uh, made his NFL debut after being inactive all of 2018 as a rookie. Uh, grading systems unkind to him. Can he make a big stride week one to week two? Might they have to activate gains? How do you see that going on the nose? You know, he got his ass kicked at some point. You know, right. uh, some some plays he was you know flat on his back or thrown on the ground and didn't hold the point. But there were some plays where you can see some real promise. So I mean, that's week one stuff. He's only going to get better there. So yeah, I, I still like him as the nose tackle. I would I would have loved to have seen gains up. That kind of surprised me, him being down. Maybe that will change this week. But is that is the matchup with McCaffrey and Cam Newton just not suited for gains, or is he not ready to contribute as a rookie yet? Uh, no, I think last week was perfect for guys like Gaines. Okay. So maybe he's just not up to speed, or maybe they thought he was the guy you can sit to bring up someone else. But, yeah, I, I'd, I'd like to see him up, and I think if had he been active, uh, maybe you're bet- a little bit better against the run earlier. Maybe. Yeah. Well, a lot of those situations, yeah. the active 46 are dictated by who's going to play on which special teams. And let's face it, the Rams are not going to beat the Saints with the special teams effort they got in Carolina. No, uh, it's on tape now. Uh, they were close all day and they finally got one. So uh, the best thing, and you know, we, we talked to Coach McVay about this, it's an easy fix. It's an easy fix what happened getting those punts blocked. Because you've got Bones Fossil? Or? Bones Fossil and how they were blocked and what they did. It wasn't anything tricky. It's just you were bad in your technique. So work on your technique and you don't get any blocks. So that was part of the story, a seven-yard shank that was nearly blocked and one that was blocked deep in your own end. But they also missed a 41-yarder. Greg Zerline was good, but he missed a 41 that could have put it out of reach. He had a kickoff go out of bounds. That's rare. And JoJo Nathan fielded a punt inside his five-yard line. And I'm not trying to, to harp on the negative here, but I am saying that the Saints have a reputation for being very, very good on teams, too. They're coming off a 58-yard game-winning field goal. Lutz is the NFC Special Teams Player of the Week, and their punter rivals Johnny Hecker, which very few can. If you don't win that phase, I think you're going to be battling uphill all week, too. I'm with you. And and Johnny got off some great punts in Carolina. Uh, when they gave him time to get the ball off, he was great. So I, I think that will be fixed. The JoJo Natson thing is interesting. Um, I, I, I think maybe since he's a specialist, that's how he's thinking. He was pressing. Which means I can return everything you have a green light. No, remember what your job is. Job number one is field the punt. Job number one is give the ball back to Goff and let him drive it. But if you have an opportunity for a return, so be it. But you can't be fielding punts inside the five. You know, I, I don't care if you have Devin Hester. That's not the way it's supposed to go in professional football. Mm-hmm. 
All right, before we're done on this edition of Rams All Access, we have inside the numbers and we need to go around the division. Boy, the Rams did not get much help around the NFC West, did they? But with a victory, they maintain the driver's seat. They still have not fallen out of first place under Sean McVay. We'll go inside the numbers and around the division as we wrap up this week two edition on ESPN LA 710. Well, the Rams didn't get any help from the Bucks or the Bengals, although the Lions took Arizona into overtime and salvaged a tie in the desert. We finish up Rams All Access week two edition previewing a rematch of the NFC Championship game against the Saints. Hope you'll join us on Sunday at the Coliseum. DeMarco Farr and J.B. Long, the Rams, the only team playing at home in the NFC West as we go around the division. I know you really like Lamar Jackson and what he did in the opening week. They host the Cardinals in Baltimore. It's either one of two things. I either like what Baltimore did, what he did, or I didn't like what Miami was doing at all. They were They were bad on defense, but I mean... If he can keep that up, if Lamar Jackson and that offense, and Mark Ingram too, if they can keep that up, you know, we've said, going back to the draft, he may be the best one out of all of them that were picked that year. So I see it. If the offense continues to go, we may be talking about him for a while. So if you're in a survivor pool this year, are you just picking whoever the Dolphins are playing week after week until you catch a repeat and you have to find someone else? I hate to say it, but yes. Is that the strategy? Yeah, and I keep hearing like guys are quitting on the coach already. That's a bad sign. Although if there is a team, which makes no sense whatsoever, that struggles against the Dolphins, it's the Patriots. So be careful there. <laughs> I'm not trying to give out any survivor pool advice. I, I saw what they did to Pittsburgh. No, this, yeah, not, it won't happen against Miami. All right, so yeah. let's go there next. The Steelers were stopped by New England 33-3. James Conner gained just 21 yards on 10 carries. The Steelers only had 32 yards rushing in all. Can they bounce back and keep Seattle from getting to 2-0? Wow, tough one. Seattle, Seattle barely got past who they just, Cincinnati. Cincinnati. Zach Taylor had the Bengals yeah. playing some inspired ball. Uh, I think the Steelers are going to bounce back. I think they were ultra aggressive and just had some bad luck against the Patriots and Tom Brady on the other side just did whatever he wanted. But I think the Steelers will be back, no doubt. Speaking of the Bengals, they play host to San Francisco. They put up a good fight in the Pacific Northwest. Can they take down San Francisco, a team that won in Tampa Bay, capitalizing on Jameis Winston's miscues? Three interceptions, two return for touchdowns by the 49ers, but they will not have starting running back Tevin Coleman, who suffered a high ankle sprain as their injury bug continues to bite. This will be interesting. Garoppolo or Dalton? Who would you say is the better quarterback? Wow. Yeah. That's a a stumper because, (laughs) I mean, I think – Public sentiments and momentum and recency bias and contract, you would say Garoppolo. Right. Maybe he's in a better offense until A.J. Green gets right, but more experienced, more accomplished, Dalton. Well, I know Garoppolo can beat Jameis, especially when Jameis is turning it over like that. Andy Dalton was pretty solid with the football throwing it, fumbled it a few times. So if he continues that into San Francisco and Garoppolo continues to try to figure it out, you might take Cincinnati there. All right, Rams All Access brought to you by ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Try ZipRecruiter for free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Rams. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Rams. So that's around the division. Inside the numbers focuses on Todd Gurley this week. And DeMarco, one game of sample size. But to those who doubted him, Gurley still got it. Next-gen stats say his speed at the line of scrimmage on run plays averaged 12 miles per hour. To put that in context, in week one, that was second best of any running back in the league. And he had five runs of 15-plus miles per hour, also second most in the league. Are you encouraged by what Gurley put down in Carolina? Absolutely. Let me ask you this. What do you think is more important, the first quarter or the fourth? I mean, look – I love the the every snap, every quarter girly, 
But if that's not going to be the model moving forward, I like the thought of making other teams tackle 6-1-2-20 in the fourth. I agree with you 100%. Especially if you're playing with the lead, as the Rams so often do. I like that formula a lot. You need good pieces, you need a good quarterback, and you need a good backup tailback to carry the load and make sure you have a lead. If you take a seven-point lead into the fourth with a, with a fresh Todd, I think you win just about every football game. And kudos to Malcolm Brown, who was in week one everything that Sean McVay and this Rams staff said he was and was not when he got injured in yeah. Detroit last year. I think this is going to be the best coaching job Sean McVay has ever done. You're going to have to talk Todd, or like kind of fool Todd Gurley into becoming a closer. Look, I mean, <laughs> he got the game ball, and yeah. I think that was in some ways perfect because in addition to being a Tarbo, North Carolina native and having a lot of friends and family there, that could have gone a different way if Malcolm Brown is coming out of Carolina with with all the hype and the touchdowns no doubt. and just fueling the fantasy football questions. Perfect formula, a lot to consider if you're the Saints defensively uh, this week. There are still tickets available for Sunday's home opener against the Saints, and you can secure them by visiting therams.com slash NO, therams.com slash NO. The NFC Championship rematch at the Coliseum, which looks spectacular after the facelift, uh, kicking off Sunday, 125. DeMarco and I hope to see you there. Our pregame coverage with Travis Rogers and Kirk Morrison gets going at 1030 in the morning. They lead you up to kickoff Rams and Saints. DeMarco Farr, J.B. Long, Maurice Jones-Drew will join us then. Thanks to listening to Rams All Access on ESPN LA and the ESPN app. DeMarco, have a great week. You too, man.